What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Drew and I are joined today by special and returning guest, Veronica, of the World Hoppers podcast, last with us for Summer Night, I think it was. Yeah? Yes. Yes, it was right, Summer right, Night. Right, right, right. And I am really glad to be back. Oh, yeah. Uh, you may also know me by my username, Chance and I, and I'll show up on Shortcast occasionally Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. and I'm glad to have you with us today because Drew and I are talking about a novel that you are particularly qualified to discuss. This is uh, from her native Colombia, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I hope I'm pronouncing that perfectly. Yeah. And yes, you are. Sweet. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is quite the subject for discussion as, you know, one of the great literary achievements of all time, but... Um, Veronica and I get to have some fun right now as we listen to Drew attempt to summarize this one. <laughs> have fun. Good luck. Yeah. He said um, tremulously. So pretty much I am not going to do my normal summary because if I did, we would all be sitting here listening to Drew talk for about a half an hour. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> yep. to, to put it simply, and I mean very simply, uh, this book is about several generations of the Buendia family and the town they founded and ultimately were uh, key movers in the progression of and ultimately the destruction of. So, uh, things get crazy. As they tend to do in magical realism, uh, which I, I sort of, like theoretically knew this was magical realism going in mm -hmm. but uh was reminded very forcefully of that as i read through it yeah <laughs> like <laughs> it's like oh yeah this is what magical realism is like because it's been a while <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's a very strange subgenre that's for sure oh for sure yes <laughs> yeah and so i i think if i'm if i'm remembering this right it's really five generations of the family that we cover Right? Seven. Seven? Yeah, I think it's seven. Oh, yeah, right? gosh. I, I may okay, have, wait, I may have missed You got lost somewhere in one of the Jose Arcadios. Yeah, well, because there's like, yeah, yeah. A, a bunch of... Well, there's there's a Jose Arcadio Segundo and Jose Arcadio <laughs> the Second, which in Spanish is Segundo. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's... Yeah. Or maybe one of the 35 Aurelianos that are out there, too. I mean, yeah. they did get Yeah, pretty... there are a million of them. Oh, yeah. But let me count. Okay, yeah. I brought up the... Um... The, the family tree? Do you have a family Cap. tree? Yeah, the family tree we used when we did the family this. Forest. The one, two, three, four. Yeah, it's seven generations. Oh, my gosh. There's lots of them there. To be fair, the last oh, one doesn't really yeah. count. Didn't really get off the ground. I don't mean uh, that. Mary, any, oh any yeah, I was not counting the uh, Aureliano the Third, who like died and was eaten by ants immediately. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Can hardly blame uh, for that. <laughs> this was an odd one, and I mean, I went through it on audiobook. That's how I did the entire thing because I was doing it while I was <laughs> at work. And um, yeah, you did. You know, totally I, I'll, I'll, I think the audiobook was actually pretty good. Um, the narrator was phenomenal, but uh, there were parts of this audiobook oh, that I feel really shone, and I, I probably wouldn't have had the same experience on, on the written page. There are a couple of very long diatribes by certain characters that we'll get into that really, really shone on the audiobook that I feel like if I would have turned the page and just seen that block of text going on for several pages, that would have been a little more of a chore. So I had fun. 
with the audio definite on block of text going on for several pages oh yeah it's a feature of the language and this is something really interesting getting into style because like you guys read it in english Yep. I was oh, yeah. reading it in Spanish, which is the original language. That was going to be my first question for you. Okay. Like my edition. Uh, so, yeah, Spanish is not a concise language, and even less so if it's Latin American Spanish, because, like, Spain Spanish has gotten modernized and it's more concise now than it used to be. Huh, didn't know that. It hasn't changed here. Not much. Um, <laughs> okay. And so it's a bit, like, that's probably why those super long Gene Wolf sentences haven't tripped me up as much because I'm used to it. Yeah. Mm. Fair. Um, okay. But yeah, there are like paragraphs that go on for an entire page. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I just like open to a random page Even and more. and yeah, the this entire page is one paragraph. Oh yeah. But, or for me, I'm just in the middle of a weld and I'm going, hang on, she's still going? Hold on, this <laughs> she hasn't stopped yet? Has she breathed yet? What's going on? Yeah, there are if I am not wrong, some sentences that occupy nearly a whole page in my edition. Yeah, that that <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. It, it, I, I will say, though, I think going from Wolf straight to this helps a little bit because Wolf also has long, meandering, complicated sentences. And and so you get kind of used to that. I think if you went from, you know, directly from something like Brandon Sanderson or David Farland or something right into 100 Years of Solitude, that would be much more difficult <laughs> mm-hmm. yep yeah. yeah i actually agree like even still like as much as i love this book i find it really hard to reread yeah hmm. it, like both times i've tried i've had a really hard time like getting back getting back into it because it's so strange and because it's completely different to anything else yeah, so, yeah I'm, I'm not sure if i'm going yeah. to reread if I'm being entirely honest, I'm glad that I went through it. I'm glad that I experienced it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this book is, is my cup of tea. I mean, for anybody who's, <laughs> who knows me well enough, you know, for lack of a better term, it's just yeah. what it is. I'm very open about the fact that history, or at least human history, generational history, I should say, um, it's not, it's not really what my favorite thing is. Uh, it's the story of seven generations of one family all imploding one after another. When I yeah. first read that synopsis, I, I, I admit, I absolutely went, ah, okay this may be a chore but it wasn't it wasn't actually a chore at any point during the listening of this book you know i should have realized going in that there's a reason this book has the accolades it does in the in the literary landscape i was reminded forcefully a lot um not necessarily in style but just of my time spent afterwards in hindsight like when i was reading dickens in high school it wasn't engaging for me at all at the time but further research is when i realized just how much i was missing because i missed a lot in this book. I missed a lot. And we're going to be talking. I'm going to be pretty much exclusively talking about everything that I missed. There's that much of it. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of kicking off with our normal style discussion. You know, we've already talked about you know, how the, the peculiarities of translation and, and how that results in a book where you can open to any random page and you're probably just going to look at at least one page of a solid block of text yep. um, with long, very, very long <laughs> sentences complicated sentences with lots of commas and clauses and many many descriptors but i think the most interesting aspect of the style in this book is the the structure the narrative structure where it mm-hmm. it yes. jumps back and forward in time oh so much and, and there oh will my be God. sides where he just sort of like 
references something in the future or the past and then mm-hmm. ignores it. And then you mm-hmm. find the story of that like three pages later where it goes into more detail or a chapter later, you know, there's like a passing mention of, of, uh, oh, dang it. Was it Remedios who was weaving her own, uh, like, uh, death? Amaranta. Um, Amaranta. Amaranta. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like we get like a passing mention of that once and then and you're just like wait what and then you get the actual (laughs) description of what's going on with it where she has this premonition and and ultimately says you know like when she's done with it i'm gonna die at the end of the day you do you have any letters for me to bring to the you know to the other side um you know so we get this very disorienting whiplash kind of yo-yoing in the in Uh the structure and that's like fascinating but i think it it resonates thematically because the the magical realism aspects yeah. of the book are also meant to confuse and disorient the reader. Yeah, and this book is a lot about memory and change, and there's these cycles in the town of like isolation and then innovation and then destruction and over and over and over again. Yeah. And so there's this um, graph that I get for you um, from one of the... Like, we had to read these essays when we did this for school. Mm-hmm. Um, and ours was uh, super long. <laughs> super long essay about the uh, ethics in 100 Years of Solitude. And oh, boy. This group presentation. Oh, and we literally, like, the presentation literally lasted the whole hour of class. It was, like, 45 minutes of five of us just going point by point in this essay. And there was this really interesting graph, which... I'll screenshot it later and send it yeah. in the Discord. Okay. Um, but it's the timeline and the point in the center and four circles that start and end in the same place. And that's basically uh, the hmm. way like this book works. It's Yeah. And, and what the point in the center is the firing squad? Yeah, and like the... Um, and like the memory of ice, because that's also a oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, like mention the whole time. And so you have like when I was like founded on one side and when it's destroyed on the other. And it keeps on going like in circles until you finally like get the full story. Hmm. Yeah, I'm really curious it's, to it's see really this. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll link yeah. the essay yeah. in the Discord. There's- it's in Spanish, but I think oh yeah, we'll I'll be able to get it. Get it. <laughs> I, I, I at least know some Spanish, even if I've forgotten. I know much vocabulary. Yeah, I've already learned Spanish today. I didn't know that Segundo was second. Oh yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot about the cyclical nature of time, though, in Macondo. We like, I mean, I I was even writing it down. You know, uh, Melchiades, the prophecy that he made. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the first and foremost comes to mind. Ursula's prophecy oh, man, that... as well, but the pig's tail. Uh, Everything that's just, yeah, as you just uh, briefly mentioned, Emeranta sewing the, the shroud for her own death and like Rebecca's death and all these just these horrible choices that keep this family inside this sort of nightmare hamster wheel of time, just running in circles until they wipe themselves out. It's just so tragic. Interesting in many ways, but tragic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like how you so you brought up the idea of memory. And one of the things that stuck out to me in this was the the loss of memory that there are these two like mass amnesia events. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I, that was where it it was really the first one uh, that 
the magical realism aspect of the story like really hit me where it's like yeah there were weird magical realism things like the flying carpet and like it starts off with the gypsies coming to town and you're like oh you know they're gypsies right they're trying to pass off technology or or like snake oil as magic and then as you read further in you start getting things you're like wait no this is legitimately magic uh and but it wasn't until we got that first mass amnesia event where i was just like i just kind of came to a screeching halt in my reading because it was so jarring it was so out of place where my (laughs) mind trying to even even like recognizing that there are going to be magical elements in this they're they're subdued and this is where it just came like barreling through like a you know a bull in a china shop And, and then there's the second one later on with the massacre where nobody remembers 3000 people being machine gunned down and, and even uh, like the world is trying to make them forget with the the, like years long reign. Oh yeah. Apparently that was based on an actual thing. I had, I was like, are you serious? I read that. It very much happened. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Shouldn't be. No, I'm not laughing about that. Yeah. I have my history book open right here. It's what I used for, uh, IB history and it's a great book. Yeah. Also, it's funny because it's originally in English because it's by an American historian. <laughs> so nice. you're you're reading a book That's written in Spanish translated into English and using a book in written in Spanish translated from English as a yeah. reference. <laughs> and, uh, I love it. I love yeah. it. That's symmetrical. It's a really good source, though. Yeah, there, like that moment that it was for me when like the, the magic and mystery really started to stick out. There was it was when little Aureliano Ben Bendias just said, "Mommy, the pot is going to spill." And yeah. then the pot just starts sliding to the edge of the table <laughs> from the center. Like for me, I'm not gonna lie. Again, I was not particularly engaged by the overall idea so of, of the story at that point. So I was like staring out at a field of wheat just swaying in the wind, just kind of zoning out if I'm being honest, and then like a stick of dynamite goes off right in the middle of the field. I was just, I zeroed in on it right yeah. away. No, I, I definitely remember that. Right away. I'm like, feeling oh, this is, it's going to have this kind of magic and mystery. Okay. All right. There's something in there for me. I'm all in now. So th- that was my moment there. It was yeah. good. I, I, and I just realized, I was like, of course it can't have been Remedios who sewed her own uh, shroud because she's the one who was, assumed into heaven like the blessed virgin Mary. which what remedios okay you're talking yeah. about remedios the beauty uh, yeah, yeah i got you <laughs> yeah like just <laughs> just in the middle of this book oh now it's the bible real quick not the first remedios <laughs> yeah. the, oh, the virgin so has has biblical. had an assumption <laughs> um yeah oh yeah there are so many biblical comparisons in this yeah i mean you could even compare like I, I this one's a little more tenuous i suppose but you could compare the flood you know with the the mm. five year long reign yeah, after sure. the you know washing away the the evil and iniquities of of this like plantation in in Macondo like yeah huh or no sipping water there because I I realized there was going to be a lot that I hadn't missed being not a, not particularly a religious person myself um, and I was glad I was going to be able to talk about this with you guys because you will have a lot more context and you guys will have picked up on a lot more of these potential illusions yeah and to be honest the first time i read it i didn't pick up on as many of those and then i read this essay which has a huge part like about the like uh the religious parallels and i was like whoa yeah 
I mean, that's hmm. definitely a an ongoing thing throughout this book, not just biblical parallels and allusions, but to other like myths and other stories. Mm-hmm. Um, like he, it's a very referential book in a weird way. I mean, everything this book does is weird, but <laughs> we haven't even started talking about the sex stuff yeah. yet. No, no, we have not <laughs> oh, yet. We'll God. get there. We'll get um, there. Yeah, like, there's even, you know, there's one just super random point where, like, the wandering Jew is in town. You're like, wait, oh, what? Yeah. You know, and, and the, the father, what, what's his name, just starts really talking some serious smack about him. I was like, yo, that's, wow. Yeah, my cat is uh, walking over my microphone, so I'm sorry for any uh, noise. Yes, 100 <laughs> Years of Solitude. Severian, thoughts? Uh, and I his thoughts are meow. Closing his eyes to go to sleep. There you go. There you go. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's very there. tired. He caught and killed a mouse this morning. So, Oh, yeah. that sounds really, really difficult. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's an accomplished hunter. Over the uh, four years we've had him, he has now, uh, caught, I think, eight mice now. I'm going to assume you know this because he left evidence of his crimes. Um, it's very obvious when he's hunting a mouse because that's the only time he acts a certain way. Ah, and so we, you. yeah. Usually My we liberate like the mice and free them Pigeons. some distance from the house, but uh, this one he actually killed before uh, I, you know, had a chance to do anything. So, mm. but anyway, a hundred years of solitude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The wandering Jew, yeah, though, so... like that was that was another point where it was just like it. It was almost mm-hmm. jarring how out of place it was, but I'm sure that's the point. You know, like he he wanted to have people get this sort of narrative whiplash or like whether you're familiar mm. with the legend of the wandering Jew or not. Oh, that's an actual illusion. I had, okay. Never yeah. Wow. There, there have been many different versions of this idea over the years, um, over the centuries. Like I think it originated as um, a, a story of a, a Jew who like berated Christ when he was on his way to the crucifixion and he was thus like cursed by God to wander the earth until the second coming of Jesus. Ah. Uh, and and then it has, of course, like grown through the years. I know there were like, um, uh, there was like a German legend about it. And, uh, and then, you know, like the, the playwrights, the English playwrights all like had different takes on it and, and it's gone, gone on there. There are elements of the wandering Jew in, the world building for the Aiel in the Wheel of Time, for instance, the Gen and and the oh, Jew, yeah. like, mm-hmm. um, oh. yeah. So it's it's an ongoing thing, but having and and the way it's presented in this book was was a little strange too because it's not even like it. The Wandering Jew is just described as like half human mutant kind of thing, and like and and it's not uh, it's not so much about like the the legend as this is this weird curiosity that's showing up in a town full of weird curiosities over the years, you know? Dang. Another one. I just didn't, I just didn't have the context to pick up on. It's interesting. Yeah. There, like in terms of, of the actual writing itself, there are these, there are these beautiful moments that make me laugh, make me go, huh? Um, for example, I had this one, this little bit of wisdom. These are scattered throughout. Fernanda searched, 
so and so and so on. I forget what she was searching for without knowing that the search for lost things is hindered by routine habits, which is why it's so difficult to find them. Yeah. I had to stop and pause about that one. That was amazing. And then the next one, for completely different reasons, the air was so damp that fish could have come in through the door and swam out of the windows. (laughs) That's great. I love that. That's just so cheeky and wonderful. Um, these are everywhere throughout this one too. Like, so just on a, on a, on a word by word, or even though it's been translated, obviously just the, the, the choice of language going into this and the use of metaphor are just wonderful as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's definitely there in the original version. And there's some that are very interesting where you're like, is this literal or is this a metaphor? Yeah. Right. Um, like I, I, because again, it's, the like they treat the normal as completely fantastical and the fantastical as normal like oh yeah, yeah. like the yeah. the way they interact with, with the idea realism. of, of like really movies weird. like when when the cinema like arrives in town and and they don't trust it because it's dealing with like illusion unreality but yet they take the presence of literal magic kind of for granted um and again you know like this is this is a, a major theme in the book is the kind of conflict between the esoteric and the magical and the, mm-hmm. the real and the development of technology and the advancement of society. And, and I think there's a, mm, a tendency on the part of Marquez to lean more toward like the, the J.R.R. Tolkien camp of like industrialization may not be the best thing in the world. <laughs> uh, mm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah, and like honestly a lot of that view comes from how he grew up and the history of that time because oh my god i am not gonna get into history lesson but we had a whole unit on that um, <laughs> oh yeah history and it oh so much happened <laughs> okay it was kind of problematic honestly um but yeah it has like this tone and the way it treats um, like fantastic and the magical that I've seen in other uh, like magical realism novels of this time, like Water for Chocolate for, is one. Oh man! Uh, and it's like very whimsical, but it's also like a slice of life kind of story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it makes you forget there's actually a plot. Hmm. Yes. So, it's like just presented to you as like this is not a story. This is just things that happened. Yeah. And like how is this connected um this and it feels completely normal but at the same time kind of jarring it's, it's a very strange feeling and a feeling that i've only ever been able to find it uh like when reading magical realism mm-hmm. yeah like i yeah. i think the you know the way you said that where it's just these are events that happened not necessarily a story you definitely right. get that feeling but then history marquez yep. kind of pulls you back and grounds you in the idea of these prophecies where he reminds you of things that have come before and, and gives you more uh, familiar like story touchstones, uh, storytelling devices like prophecy, like flashback, like, you know, dreams, you know, we, Mm, we get many references of, of like, uh, Oh man, Whichever, whichever Aureliano it was who realizes he's been having the same dream like every night for years, right right when he dies. And like, um, I think he was 
crap. Was that Aureliano Segundo? Is he the one who ate himself to death in the contest against no, the elephant? No, not, not Aureliano no? Segundo. Dang it. Which? Uh, I don't I remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> or was it Jose Ar- Arcadio Segundo who, but who was probably actually Aureliano? Like the twins totally got switched oh, yeah. at birth and then yeah, they totally got switched, switched at death. Yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I. It sounds to me. That I legitimately laughed out loud. Yeah, they kept switching themselves up to screw with everyone else. Yeah, and they end up. Then they also love how they, they ended up vastly different people. But then they were turned to being the same person before they ultimately died. So appropriately being mistaken well, for the other. Just and well, the interesting thing and the reason that I was like, yeah, they were totally switched at birth is or or unless it was either they were switched at birth. Oh, but no, like. Because the, because they get switched in death as well, that would like really solidified it for me. Where Marquez is saying like, yeah, they were switched at birth and then switched at death, so they like were born and died the right people, but lived their lives as the wrong people. Because yeah. in the generations of them, all the Aurelianos are like really reserved mm-hmm. and quiet and intellectual, mm-hmm. except for that Aureliano, mm-hmm. who's like the most hedonistic, you know, over the top partier. And all the mm-hmm. Jose yeah. Arcadios are really brash and outgoing, except for that one who's reserved and 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 academic. And so I I either feel like that's supposed to be the exception that proves the rule, or because of the switch at death with the caskets, they were actually just switched at at birth. And the Aureliano trait mm-hmm. did follow through all the generations, and the Jose Arcadio trait similarly. Um. I like to think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's more satisfying, I think. Yeah. But... And, like, when... It's the traits in every single generation. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Because of the names, it makes the most sense. Right. But... It would just be a lot easier if there were five Jose <laughs> Arcadios and five Aurelianos. <laughs> Excuse the, me. The, yes. I'll admit. 22 yeah. Aurelianos. Oh, because yeah. there's 17 of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna lie. There was a point at which there, there's another the next generation has started, and he was named Jose Aureliano, and I went, no, 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 oh no. Yeah, it's gonna lead to a very interesting no. character discussion for today. Right. Like when we did it at school, like we had the um, um the family tree on this like huge board. Like at the back, Good. the teacher had covered like the descriptions, <laughs> oh, yeah. like the tad spoilers. And so, in the, like we uncovered them as we went through. But like in like my, there's some editions that have the family tree. But in my notebook, like I was also drawing it. Mm. I don't have that notebook anymore. But it's mm. very important to keep that family tree straight because otherwise super confusing. Yeah, yeah. like I, I yeah. feel like I'm usually pretty good at keeping characters straight. I mean, like, you I'm, are, but you like, are. No, you definitely. I, I'm, I'm getting some characters mixed up with this book. Like it, it was just such a, a, a disorienting reading experience, mm-hmm. and then, and then the names did not help at all. <laughs> but yeah, because it's one thing when characters are named differently. Um, like even in the Wheel of Time, where the, there are like lots of like S names, at least they have different names, and so you can kind of keep them straight. Yeah, but they all have the same traits and the same names in but this. But yeah. that they have the same traits and the same names and everything, and so it all. And then yeah, when when we had Segundos and Segundos, and there are two different Segundos, of like that's when it really started screwing with me. Where like because I was, 
when I first met, you know, Jose Arcadio Segundo and uh, Aureliano Segundo, I, you know, like I thought of it in my head as like, oh, you know, it's like the second junior, whatever. And, and then we get another generation of them where it's like, they actually use like the row, at least in my edition, they use the Roman numerals for like the second and the third. And, and like, and so that's when it got really confusing to me where I was like, wait a second. So like the son of Aureliano Segundo is Aureliano the second. <laughs> like, and <laughs> I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it this was the kind of thing. I feel like an editor would be going nuts. up like pulling their hair out over. Yeah. You can't do that. Not in a book. <laughs> I don't remember the Roman numerals, so it might be a translation. Yeah. Thing. Like it, it I feel like the editor for, for this must have just been like, you know what? Like, I'm in the presence of a genius. I'm just going to let him do his thing and not question it. Like, yep. Yep. can't put a genius in the box. You got to let him run. Yeah, for oh. sure. Yeah. And also like, God, the publication of this book was kind of strange because Garcia Marquez was living in Paris at the time. Um, because like they sent him to do something like he worked for the newspaper, El Espectador, and they sent him there and he had gotten stuck there because, like, he couldn't travel back. I, f- I forget why. But so he sent the manuscripts, like, overseas. Like, n- not even together. He sent half first and then half later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the way to Argentina. And so I have no idea how the editing for that worked. But uh, I imagine it was complicated. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, this is, you know, this is pre, like, typewriters. This is a handwritten manuscript. And, you know. No, I think... Did he have an yeah. actual typewriter that he wrote it on? This was written, but, oh, 60, uh, I'm, I'm stupid. I was thinking uh, 1927, but that's when he was born, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Born, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, okay. There, he definitely had a... Yeah, yeah it's 67. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Spanish translated, <laughs> no idea what year. A couple of years later. Yeah. Still, so, that's quite the endeavor. Oh my God. I, yeah, I mean, still. I was thinking but myself. Yeah, you were right. Like, a lot of this was written by hand. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, he was born in 27. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Still would have been, must have been quite the endeavor. One has to wonder, like, what was it about the seventh generation where he decided, you know what? Okay, it ends here. Like, I, see, I feel, I get the impression that he could have gone on for nine generations. He could have gone on for 13 generations. It's like, how, where, like, what was it about the seventh generation where he was like, okay, this is it. This is the one. I mean, seven is a... I suppose it is a literary yeah. pleasing number, or very yeah. fantastically seven's, pleasing number. Seven's a mythologically important number, and religiously important number in a lot of places, and yeah, um, yeah. Do we uh, do we do we, do we want to get into the overabundance of incest and sexual weirdness? <sighs> I mean, time? we have to. We we really yeah, do have to because it's not. Th- this is not a book that's like. Oh, there was one weird sex scene in it. It's like, no, this is a theme. This recursive uh, part of why it's so hard to read, honestly. Yeah, and they had you do this in school, like high school. I'm definitely in high school, right? Uh, Twelfth grade, ninth grade, ninth grade, which is tenth grade over there because like our extra year is much younger. Still, tenth grade, tenth grade in the U.S. system. Sophomore year, you're reading this. What do you think? (laughs) Mm, I probably would not have enjoyed it. It's a little weird. <laughs> Lots of my classmates didn't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a, that's it's such a strange book because 
like I think part of the reason I like it so much is because of what it did in terms of like style and like literary merit. Yeah. But I don't really connect with the characters. It's very weird to be reading, honestly. It's more about the like what Garcia Marquez managed to achieve, which is what makes me like this book so much. Yes. So Yeah, like I mean, you, you mentioned how you had to do like essays and presentations about ethics in this book, and I'm just thinking, mm, yeah, like, that... wow, I like I find so much of the morality and ethics in this book abhorrent, and like, yes, <laughs> yeah, the like I certainly don't agree with some of the conclusions about morality and religion that Marquez comes to in this book. You know that that he he clearly sees a religion in a specific light. Um, he's he, the, the Catholic church has not flattered it by any means in, nope. in this book. Uh, uh, he, he has honestly, mm, an attitude toward religion and Christianity that feels a lot more like modern non-denominational Christianity in America, where it's very much about like, your spirituality and your individual relationship mm -hmm. with God than it is like any sort of institutional religion. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. like and it's honestly, less religion and more spirituality. That's also a sign of the times because there was a lot of religious conflict. Mm -hmm. uh, like during the time, like th this book takes place and there was a president that wanted to, oh my God, even got excommunicated because oh. of oh, wow. these problems with the church. And so it was back and forth and back and forth in the church, one thing more control and like schooling and government. And then no, it's the state. This church is separate and back and forth the whole time. So yeah, it, like it makes sense for the time and like the inspirations, uh, like the historical inspirations for the book. Sure. And there's definitely so like an surprised. idealized um, community idea in Makondo like it's mm -hmm. you really get a sense for Marquez's attitudes toward the development mm -hmm. of society in how he presents them and how they corrupt this like perfect little Eden essentially the the town that nobody has died in and right all the, you know, it's so perfectly designed that all the houses are equally far from the water and they all get the, the exact same amount of sunlight and, like, you know, it's it's this impossible yeah. town. And then when reality intrudes upon it and civilization comes through, it just erodes everything and makes it awful until literal destruction of the town in a apocalyptic tornado. Like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I found it really interesting that uh, the original uh, Jose Arcadio Buendia uh, was constantly see, just like referring to this vision that he had of this town, of of the, this town of glass, mm -hmm. or maybe it was town of mirrors. I can't remember if it was glass or mirrors. Wasn't it a town um, of ice? It's glass. Oh, ice. Yeah, so it's glass ice and was then the ice and yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's because like, when the one comes back and like builds the ice factory, that's sort of mm. like bringing it full circle with his visions of like 
having the town be made mm-hmm. of ice and it would like See, all be cool in the summers and like you know. i read it as mm-hmm. mirrors in that there this this is constantly this reflection through time of things repeating again and again oh that was a again. different that was a different part sorry i was, was thinking it? of i was i was thinking of something different something yeah. worth talking about though yeah it's like I just I love how much of it was was not I shouldn't say spelled from the beginning, but foreshadowed so neatly that on on the in, in hindsight oh, yeah. it's 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 mm. obvious. Oh my god, the foreshadowing in this book, yeah. Yeah, and what... there's a reason my favorite scene is the ending of the book. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is a pretty good one. It is pretty uh, climactic, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like in in a way I almost like don't want to call it foreshadowing. Because it feels like yeah. cheating that he wrote this book in such a non-linear fashion that having just straight up telling you events that are going to happen in the future. Right. You know, but then at the same time, there is foreshadowing, like thematic foreshadowing, where he may tell you that certain events are going to happen, but just knowing that they're going to happen doesn't carry the same effect until you can connect it with the the themes of the story hmm. and that's where I'm, that incest comes in big time yeah i love how i i love how we just like skated right over that and i thought we were just about <laughs> past it and then drew brings it right back in no it was yeah, a little weird it's though. it really is unavoidable it weird. like it's, it's, it's very weird i i mentioned this in my you know goodreads review that like my enjoyment of the book was definitely impacted by all the weird sex stuff um and it's not just the incest at there's least, like bestiality too like i can't believe i'm gonna say this at least none of them were directly related right one was like a, uh, a, no, a there was adopted a mother, sister thing there was a mother son what right i didn't um, think so one was like an oh, aunt no. and nephew right yes the actual like the one that actually happened in terms of like the relationship did end up happening um there wasn't there like the mother and son who like slept naked together and they were like they'd like touch each other but they didn't actually have sex aunt and nephew that Mm -hmm. one wasn't oh okay oh oh the aunt that's right the aunt i can't speak the The aunt aunt and and nephew nephew actually happened yeah yeah right that was Um, unknown to them though at the time though so again there's always like this bit of plausible deniability or at least there generally was i just i mean even from it was the weird. start ursula and the original jose arcadio buendia are what cousins yeah they're like first cousins cousin. right cousins. and that's what yeah. led to ursula's paranoia and her prophecy yeah. about the pigtail yeah. yeah yeah that's right that's right because she had family members that were born with like animalistic features yeah. supposedly so yeah I mean, huh. given, yeah, it's like at the start of the book, you read it and you're like, oh, this is just a legend. And then by the end of the book, you're like, no, no, I totally buy that nope. there was actually a pigtail. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that came full again. The pigtail came full circle. Huh. But don't, anyway. Um, yeah, like, thing is, it, it also becomes a theme in a way, as awkward as it is, as strange yeah. as it is, it becomes a theme of the book because it's recurring and it's part of. Like, the way these generations develop. And like, the way the characters act. Because there's this huge fear of it, but then everybody's drawn to the same thing. And it's the cycle that repeats in every generation. And it makes sense given the uh, the sort of, like, passing down through bloodlines of personality. Mm-hmm. You know, where th- this... And, and look, it, it's in the title. You know, Solitude. The idea is that this family 
in, in many different ways, but also collectively is insular. And when you are insular, you are incestuous. Like, you know, as a, as a family, as a clan, like it's, yep it's it's right there <laughs> yeah um, my last style point was to ask <laughs> if we wanted to address Encanto at all or are we just going to pretend like we're, yeah, I mean I haven't nothing. seen the movie but I'm probably not over. ever going to watch it so you can go ahead and talk you about need it to watch that movie Drew I'm, I'm yeah, telling you, you right should. now you really need to watch that movie it's really good. I loved it yeah, I, I'm not it's a got, big movie some, guy. It's, really it's got a bitchin' soundtrack. But no, seriously, <laughs> I, a, I, like, I don't know at what point it was in this novel when I realized how similar it was, or not. I should say how similar it was. Obviously, there are many, many big distinctions to be made. Um, but when I when I tried summarizing it for a friend who who was asking, "What are you What are you listening to right now?" and I was I, I summarized it for him, and I went. Oh my god, that sounds like I'm summarizing Encanto just with some weirder things in there. <laughs> and then I started paying attention going forward, at least at the halfway point, paying attention going forward. I'm like, oh my god, this is this is actually like it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I at least have to talk about it. I definitely have to talk about it. Yeah. It's the story of a family. Yeah, we were in the got theater, many different like abilities. My sister, my yeah. sister had just read the book and we're like, oh there's a reference, there's a reference, there's a reference, there's a reference. Yeah. It's all over the place. <laughs> like down to the yellow butterflies in the climax oh, wow. of Encanto. Oh, I didn't even think of the yellow butterflies. Huge uh like symbol like for Garcia Marquez in general. Like I think Garcia Marquez sounds like yellow butterflies. Mm. First thing that comes to mind. Wow. Oh. Kind of wants daddy to do that as the uh thumbnail for this. Oh, oh yeah. Oh <laughs> that'd be yeah, cool. that's a that's that'd a be great cool. idea be able to make it yellow but it still is still work as a butterfly everybody would know it'd be mm-hmm. right away oh uh-huh. man yeah it's it's almost it's like it's as if when deciding to make Encanto someone just went you know what if we took a hundred years of solitude compressed it into a movie and made it kid friendly no <laughs> I mean do you know if the not creators of Encanto have talked about that at all I wouldn't be surprised if they had I'm just well, I typed on. in Encanto yeah, like, 1 and any... it autofilled Encanto 100 Years of Solitude and the top result is Encanto and 100 Years of Solitude comparison on Reddit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know that uh, several people in the generation below me uh, like pitched that as an idea for their extended essay because of course they would. Yeah, that's easy. So. That's low-hanging fruit right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, I've got, I've talked through my style discussion points. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about style oriented before we try? And... <laughs> um, I did want to ask, like, I don't know if the geography might have confused you because there were a couple of mentions that, like, to me weren't instinctive. That and well, I'll get to the history in a bit. Yeah, I just rolled with the punches when it came to the geography. Okay. Yeah, apparently because like, uh, uh, Macondo was surrounded at least according to the the original. Jose, it was surrounded by water on all sides. And I thought, isn't, isn't Colombia just got an ocean on one side? Mm. Well, on that was two, my but they're quite far away. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me see if I can share my... It's landlocked. For sure. Oh, not landlocked. Green, That's the opposite of landlocked. But like, map. still, I was like, huh. I, it did confuse me a little bit, but not enough. Definitely not enough. It wasn't in my top 100 questions. Put it that way. Yeah. 20s. Um, yeah. Do we, do we have any more style points? Or shall we cruise through characters because i i don't have much to say yeah. about the characters i'll be honest nothing about how awesome <laughs> ursula iguaran is uh, uh, is awesome I yeah she ursula. she's good i, I, I also really like remedios uh where she was just this, like which almost inhuman like ethereal out there 
you know remedios the beauty yeah remedios the beauty yeah Yeah. remedios number two then um i think yes number yeah yeah the yeah yeah she's not the one that aureliano married no because the second one was one who like was a virgin her whole life and everybody fell in love with her and if they fell in love with her they died yeah it didn't turn out well (laughs) Um, yeah yeah and then she just just folding sheets one day and she's gone by like a five-year-old's balloon just there she goes yep that was interesting yeah ursula though she's a gem i mean i didn't like her all the time i Mm -hmm. I actually you know i hated her from time to time as i feel we are meant to but she was a gem when she was on Mm -hmm. the page every time like i really started to get on board with this whole ursula train when she's chasing that uh dickhead dictator arcadio throughout the town (laughs) of macondo after she just has enough of his tyrannical bs oh my god the way she persists and through every generation as this curmudgeon increasingly curmudgeonly character and dies at such a badass age yeah, she's still like more than 120 out, yeah <laughs> she still ultimately turns out to be absolutely correct in, in this pig's tail prophecy just uh, marquez bravo just yeah. so well done <laughs> i loved yeah. it standing in front of the rebels and she's like yelling we are your mothers and we can still spank your ass that was just <laughs> for lack of like yeah, to awesome. paraphrase there that was just awesome yeah so the she real question though is uh who is your least favorite oh my goodness um <laughs> there's a hell there's a healthy list of choices here i have to say amaranta arcadio probably who which one sorry the dictator oh, oh. Uh, arcadio the dictator probably. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, i forgot yeah. about him actually oh. i kind the, of just the like bastard I'm, son yeah, yeah the one i was just talking about the dickhead dictator yeah oh god i forgot about him i was gonna say amaranta but you're right i think arcadio takes it the grandson of the original jose right? yeah i think yeah. i think it was a toss-up between him and Aureliano Segundo, who probably wasn't really an Aureliano. Uh, like, mm. just everything about that yep. dude's lifestyle and life choices <laughs> is antithetical to Drew McCaffrey. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't know, like, the, the, the first son, though, Jose Arcadio, like, just his whole life was also pretty ick yeah like, he was after but that all was that more time just like tattoos. weird and like what is going on like everybody's obsessed care, with this huge dick the care like, that was taken on marquez's part to decide to explain mm-hmm. all of this selling and i'm going to quote here the selling of his giant punishment to various women i think uh. it was that was <laughs> that was really weird too but i think as far as like just despicable character emaranta might still take it for me just she's no yeah what a jerk. Oh my god. Her obsession oh, yeah, really. with Pietro and her yeah. treatment of both of all parties involved just yeah. with the marriage, not even the impending yeah. marriage. The impending marriage and yeah, like, she's still Pietro's very very adamant nice person. that she didn't do that but also that not even mention the implication of the poisoning of per like the poor like OG Remedios like mm-hmm. the, the child. Oh my yeah. god. I yeah, Lots to unpack there with Amaranta <laughs> and she she did die. I have to give it to her. She died fully accepting what she was. And she had she had specifically said that she had uh, not, no regrets, but she was like comfortable yeah. with who she was by the end, right? And I was like, all right, you gotta, gotta respect it. I mean, in a weird way. Uh, but do you? <laughs> I don't respect her. I respect the attitude. I don't know if I respect the attitude. Like <laughs> I mean, being comfortable with being a bad person, I don't think that's necessarily I'm just being a good comfortable. Thing. 
just come into peace with <laughs> your actual nature and not deceiving yourself up to death. Just like, like this. Yeah. This goes back to one of the reasons that I don't like the ending of the Acts of Cain doesn't fully land for me. Uh, where he he just like mm-hmm. comes to yeah, terms yeah. with the fact that he's a terrible person. I'm like, yeah, but he's still a terrible person. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, does, yeah. Does someone need to be a good person to be like? Uh, that, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Rebecca. Anything yeah. to say about Rebecca? She's just so tragic. Uh, she was the one who yeah, was gonna marry Pietro, Pietro and then she ended up forever not marrying the, the big dick, big dick stepbrother. Yeah, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was her whole life though. Like she orphaned, carrying that bag of noisy bones. Oh yeah, she was the up. one who like ate yeah, the paint yeah. and stuff She's, like that. Yeah, yeah. She, that's a condition. It starts mm-hmm. with a P. I forget what it's called. Yeah, Pico, I, Peco, oh, P- Paco, Pika, okay. Pika. Pika, thank yeah, you. Yeah, where you eat like non food things. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that happens with, that. with like uh, dogs a lot where they'll eat like plastic bags and things like that. And socks. That makes a lot of sense. Thank yeah. you. You just answered a lot of questions for me. My <laughs> la- Not this one, my last dog, Max. The things I saw him throw up on occasion. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, yeah, with Rebecca though, like this whole this her her lifelong struggle with that too. Like this, anytime anything upended her life and she got sufficiently stressed out enough, just returned to this yep. primitive slash not human behavior. You know, like ah, it sucked. <laughs> it really sucked. Like part of the reason that like she's carrying around like this like literal like symbol of like her memory, like her trauma, like with the bad. Like with a yeah. bag filled like with her parents' bones, and they, she, yeah. she doesn't rest until they bury them. Yeah, like, it speaks a lot that she knows that no. that she doesn't understand the Spanish at first, or at least mm-hmm. she doesn't respond in the Spanish, but she understands the native language a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what Which has she I'm gone through? Still, mean is probably Wajanaiki. I mean, but there are also a million languages in that area. I will say the the country. whole like bag of bones thing, like. That was one of the the definite moments in the reading of this book where I was like, "Ooh, like I could I could write a really fun story with a different twist yep. on that idea. Like, like that could be very metal." <laughs> yeah, that is pretty metal. You know, there are so many things about this book that you're like, maybe that works. Like, also it's funny because uh, the one of the stories I actually shared on the King Out Loud group, uh, Emerald, was a challenge by my Spanish teacher that he was like, "Okay, write something going back and like." using like the time element of 100 years of solitude i did not achieve it nearly as well because it's hard <laughs> and i actually kind of want to rewrite it at some point yeah. but maybe yeah that's where that maybe that's where i'll make from. the uh the august prompt is uh the main character has Ooh, a bag yes. of bones. oh <laughs> interesting another really metal imagery uh, uh idea there the, the rivulet the, the river of blood from the second oh, son yes. after oh. he supposedly oh. shoots himself or not it just Traveling through the town, not interfering in anyone's day, hiding itself, going up, down, down the hill, through the kitchen, in this yard, <laughs> through the backyard, to find, I think it was Ursula, right? And she's yeah. like, oh, yeah. no, he's dead. That was pretty metal, too. That's just, yeah. wow. And it's very debatable whether he killed himself. I yeah. I don't know how he killed him. <laughs> Speaking of uh, killing themselves, or at least attempt attempts to do such, yeah. oh, my God, the fast one that the doctor pulled on the colonel, Aureliano, oh, my God, mm. that was funny. Yep. That was downright funny. He tried to shoot himself, and I went, well, I pulled up my phone and wrote, well, rip Aureliano, and then, nope, doctor got the fast one on him. That was yeah, good. Yeah, It's like my, my best one ever. Right, right through and through with no vital organs touched. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I could, I would shoot you. 
<laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Oh man. But not for you know this, but yeah, it was it was good. A lot of fun. Um see here. So, Anyone else specifically to speak on the characters? I wanted to talk about Fernanda and um and yeah. Gilles because those are really interesting characters. Uh so with Fernanda, like I think it's really interesting how different she is from everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like culturally. And A, I mean, she's very clearly from Bogota. I don't know if, know if they mention it explicitly, but she's very clearly from this area. And she's so traditional in absolutely everything she does. Yeah. Again, coming back to uh, the sasa I keep bringing up, like there's this graph on one side and on the other side, it's um, Pilar Ternera. And oh. right in the middle is uh, Ursula and how like, Fernanda's like the epit. It's like she's the epitome of dogmatism and following the letter of the law, and not being mm-hmm. open to anything. And on the other side, I have Pilar, who's open to anything and everything to an extreme, and is lax about everything. Yeah. Um. And in the center, you have Ursula, who's the rock of the family, who knows when to, uh, like, be willing to innovate and, like, changing. And which is what keeps her around for so long, but also not caving to the crazy desires of anyone else. Yeah, she's prudent in her family. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah, definitely. Yeah, Fernanda's mm. interesting. Like I think, with the maybe, probably with the exception of Colonel Aureliano, Fernanda for me was maybe the most tragic character in the book. Like everything yeah. about the, her story was just really depressing and heartbreaking yeah um, like how she was like never truly part of the family I mean, like, but she did so much to keep the family from falling yeah, apart like, like, every, everybody here had like a depressing and and awful like yeah. <laughs> at, well almost yeah. everybody but like but she there was something about her like maybe because she was that outsider and and she had that like really strong like structured foundation that she tried to bring to the family and then it just did not work because she was married to the literal worst person in the world for her. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was just painful yeah. to read about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything about Santa Sofia de la Piedad? La, la Piedad? Piedad? I'm trying to get these correct. <clears throat> no. Honestly, kind of like, like off and took in, off. Yeah. Right? She was just like kind of there for me. Like I, mm. I, I forgot about her until you just brought her up. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. That says enough there, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, same with me, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just curious, uh, Veronica, are there any, like, big talking points? Are there any themes that you guys covered in classes and stuff that, like, we just haven't even touched on? Because I'm sure there's cultural context I we're mean, not getting. Yeah. A huge part, like, really is the history and the politics, so... I'm going to have to get into politics because there's no other way. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. That sure. begs yeah. it in this book, so, of all books. Yeah, and I know that some places, like, well, like Discord and things, they try to veer away from that. But this is historical, <laughs> so I... Yeah. yeah. And things have changed, kind of. So, so just kind of, like, timelining this. Um, there used to be because that's not the way things work anymore uh like basically a bipartidist system 
the liberals and the conservatives. And it's funny because the colors are inverted from the U.S. parties. And so I always get confused with which is which. <laughs> it matches um, here in Canada, though. Conservatives are blue, liberals red. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, they kept going like backwards and like forwards in like control like during these like big chunks of time. And so, like, for example, the liberals, like, got control in, like, 1849, and it lasted until the mid-1880s. And then you have, like, the conservative hegemony in, like, from 1904 to 1930, and then the liberal republic, like, from 1930 to 1946, and then again. And so there's these, like, huge, like, blocks of time where only one party is, like, in control of the government. And... It's just, honestly, an excuse to pass down old, like, resentments mm-hmm. and beliefs and nothing ever changes, really. It's going to be interesting considering our new president, well, in, like, seven days. <laughs> anyway. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Sounds like a lot to unpack <laughs> yes. there that I'm just going to yeah. skate on by and pretend I is, didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's with the historical stuff for sure but so there's constant tension and like each thought that their influence was less than what they deserve and violence and civil wars particularly during election periods and then some people some presidents did very silly things like our friend uh tomas cipriano was get out which my friends and i laugh a lot about because he's uh like the namesake for one another one of our friends. Well, except the oh. middle name. Yeah. But yeah, one one of my closest friends, like boyfriend, his Tomas Mosquera, and so we laugh a lot about the president. Oh, okay, like, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. I know why. Like, Never heard the end of it. Gotcha. It's kind of silly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we had the Thousand Days War from eighteen ninety nine to nineteen o two, which is a huge part of the inspiration behind this book, and that. And then the civil wars that followed are huge, like behind uh, Colonel Aureliano. So, like, prices fall and the whole uh, Panama debacle with the United States messing in everything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And um, they start, like, the groups, like, split into, like, guerrillas and violence and it stayed mostly like in the countryside and not so much in the big cities um and so well that's a huge part of the problem because like the government like would ignore it because it wasn't affecting them directly Mm. Ah, but also like though nobody knows where the number came from it is said that the thousand days war caused the deaths of 2.5% of the population at the time. That's a lot of people. So, and I just looked at your population. I'm, I'm seeing that the yeah. population of Colombia is way larger than Canada, which I had no idea about. Oh, my God. Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. They got 50 mil down there. We're sitting here comfy at 34. Yeah, Canada's weird. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> definitely. Like one of I'm the, the like least dense uh, populations in the world. Yeah. Ninety percent of our population lives within a hundred miles of your border. Yeah, and then, but then you have like tons and tons and tons of land with just nobody living in it. Nobody, <laughs> but it's really cold up there. Nobody likes that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I love how uh, I have to admit it was a really it was a kind of a point of laugh laughing for me a little bit, just a little bit of amusement in that they were so blown away, especially the original Jose was so blown away by the discovery of ice and seeing ice. Yeah. And I, that was a serious moment of cultural disconnect for me when I had to stop <laughs> and go, oh, yeah, that would be a big deal to somebody who had never yep. literally never seen that because ice is something here that's just like it's a day. It's a part <laughs> of your life. You, it, you, it's a major part of me, like inconveniencing people's days. You know, so yeah. By the cold, yeah. Oh, Bye. just recently. Mm-hmm. It's hot as hell right now. Though. Yep. And uh, like, like my dad and my uncle joked about like, oh, is some is summer there already? Did summer get there? And like, oh yeah, summer <laughs> got there. Uh, from like I don't know what day at what time, and they're like, oh, okay, summer's over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Where did he go in Canada? Um, you know, he started in Montreal, went to Ottawa, okay, and finished in Toronto. Oh, he went yeah. south. He went the wrong way. Mm-hmm. He should not have gone that way. <laughs> yeah, my uncle lives in Ottawa, and he has a cottage nearby, so yeah. I went to a camp with my cousin. So he saw the good summer, though. He saw the hot part of it. Yeah, thank God he's yeah. not here like three or four months from now. That was that, it's gonna it's, be really bad. It's winter down there in Bogota, right? Yeah, it's pretty cold. I have no idea what. To Oh my god, it's that, that always lately has me, been like, just... a disaster. Thinking about honestly. the inversion of seasons. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, like we're right on the equator, so there really aren't any seasons. Oh, like okay. currently it's like seventeen degrees outside. Oh, it's beautiful. Celsius. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. If I could be welding in seventeen degrees, I'd be a happy man. No, it's 35 degrees mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah, just Sorry, it around. sucks. Oh, yeah. Tupper's like between 15 and 19. Just and I'm welding on a lake. Raining. Ah, yeah. And then it gets so humid that fish mm-hmm. can swim through the door and out the windows. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that feeling. The weather's horrible yeah. in the rain. 100 years of solitude. Um, yeah, but, uh, shall yeah. we go into our miscellaneous points? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah let's do I it. I didn't want to like talk a bit about um like the um, incident with the massacre because it was very much a real massacre. thing mm, 1928 yeah. and um it's it's new colonialism to a t and it happened and so like the united fruit company which is in the book and actually was here uh like basically controlled the industry like during um like industrialization here was mostly based on like different agricultural products that like for exportation that were big and then they ended and so it was these, these like different like booms of like different products so coffee bananas uh tobacco mm-hmm. no no not cotton um i uh, like a medicinal tree called kina which that was interesting and a oh, ton of um, like different uh, products, and so they got big, and then p- because people didn't know like how to like conserve um, like crops and things, they just ended, and they like the soil like wasn't right to keep growing things, and so they moved to another place, and there were a lot of migrations uh, mm. during that time, and of course the coasts are perfect. Uh, bananas i mean as i said it was like you start like going to hotter climates and it's one of the first things you see just like not even if in field just a random banana tree here a random banana tree there 
And so uh. the people at the United Fruit Company, like, they realized this and they're like, well, it's perfect. And so they brought the train and a lot of, like, things that were supposed to help, like, with industrialization. Train system never worked. Thanks, Tomas Cipriano Bosquera. Ah, that'll do it. And But, like, so lots of people moved there because the salaries were better and the living, but the living conditions weren't great, particularly in comparison to foreigners. And the United Fruit Company also didn't pay, like, the social benefits that the law demanded, like insurance against accidents and all those things because they were supposedly contractors and so it wasn't their responsibility. And so, of course, the workers got mad and they started protesting in October and they're like, hey, like, we want better pay, we want better living conditions, we want you to recognize our union. And then on the 6th of December, um, they like, brought like, soldiers, like the military, and they fired against a group of protesters. It's nowhere near as big as it was in the books, but it resulted in 13 deaths and around like 60 to 75 like, injuries. And it was the start of a whole like repressive operation that like brought more deaths and arrests and everything. And it happened all over the coast. And definitely one of the things that inspired Garcia Marquez because he was born not like he was like a little boy when this happened um, in Arakataka. And he hadn't moved to Bogota because that was when he was a teenager. So he clearly remembers this. And, it, and while in the book it's very exaggerated, it definitely happened. And it's one of the things that's the most talked about regarding the book, but also like one of the things that like resonates with um, like people from like South America because again, it's the United States messing in everything like they did with Panama and right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they definitely like <laughs> to mess with things. Yeah, and. Yeah. Imagine this is like a social point of of, of like uh, contention in, in mm-hmm. some circles as well, in some areas as well. Huh. Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. The strike turned into the largest labor movement ever witnessed yep. in the country until then. Workers want to be recognized as employees and demanded the implementation of the Colombian legal framework of the 1920s. This is something that like, had I not just done any homework at all, I would just be learning that this is that this actually was a real thing. But because I had, I had done a little bit of homework and I, I learned that it was an actual event. It gives it a lot more weight when you're reading it. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially of... seeing the trauma that it leaves one of yeah. the various Jose's with. Yeah, he mm-hmm. spends the rest of his life like bent on making sure nobody forgets it, even though everybody yeah. forgot it. That's so. That yeah. sucks. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of like like with the politics and like how. Um, Polinar Moscote like changes the votes because he's conservative, but yeah, be liberals and like that whole thing. It was around for a very long time and caused lots of problems. And that's not even getting into like the era that's known as La Violencia and like Cornelia Sergaitan because that's like post uh, the framework for this book, but it's definitely very important. Um, yeah. Historically, and it's a particularly painful example of right what you know. Yeah. Yep. And it's interesting yeah. because you see a lot of like common literature afterwards, and like we talked about this uh, last year in um, class, and how a lot of literature like reflects that, 
reality and it's very like historically inspired and how there are some authors that are trying to push against it it's like well like really instead of like focusing on what has happened we should focus on like something new that um like could bring like hope and like a different interpretation to things but you do see a lot of literature that's very much based on that there's a great series not better well really I've only um, started one book, but it's the middle one. It's called El Incendio Auril, about like the events, like from very different perspectives. The night that they killed Jorge Elias Gaitan, and um, the other one, which I didn't like and I wouldn't recommend, but it's <laughs> very um, like well known. Que lo olvido que seremos about and, and like the author, like his father was. Um, well, he was a doctor, and he like was interested in helping like the people like, get like better medical conditions, and they killed him. Imagine, and so like it's this like memoir, like for his father and his experiences, and so there are lots of books like that that are based um, on this reality, and you see it pop up everywhere in literature, particularly post one hundred years of solitude. Yeah, and. It's like striking this this balance, like in my opinion, between like understanding the history, understanding what happened, and also like, mm. well, how can we change things? Like, how can we be better and not fall into our mistakes again and I again and again, that. like yep, yep. the Wendy family? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, yeah. That's. I mean, that's really, really cool insight. Like, definitely not something you know, Rob and I would have had the context for uh, yeah but uh but yeah so uh, do we want to get into um favorite scenes here or i just really want to talk about pietro really quick just real okay. quick i should okay. say this for, for for characters oh man this guy he still got shafted by the yeah. author didn't he just he was so joyous and vibrant and he was so scorned by that hateful spiteful little Amaranta that yeah. that it ruined every relationship he had the the mother the letter claiming his mother was sick dying get him away from the wedding his return his spending the whole time just trying to make up for it never actually marrying Rebecca just, just damn in his end suicide yeah. cutting his own wrist that's ah that's heartbreaking yeah then that was kind of my only uh miscellaneous point there but I forgot I realized I'd forgotten to bring up Pietro so I I wanted to yeah. give him some discussion there. But yeah, I'm after that. I'm ready to have go an affinity it. like for Pietro. Like, I'm, she when she was reading it, and she was like, I like. And I asked her like, uh, like, in what part of the book are you? And I was like, I like Pietro Crespi. And I was like, Yep, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Second place uh, idea that I had for Danny's uh, thumbnail was his tight pants. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, wow. Yeah, no, I'm ready for favorite scenes. Any everybody else? Sure. And I, I have an admission to make. I really only have two scenes. Yeah, same. Uh, okay. Yeah, like, it, this is just such a strange book. It was hard for me to kind of, like, focus on that idea of, like, scenes standing out. Um, mm-hmm. But there were there were two that, that really did jump out. So, Rob, if you have three, you can just kick it off. I do. Okay. I'll tee off right here. Three, and then I'll go into two, and then we'll go... Veronica drew yep. and then back to me for one. Yeah. Okay. My third. And I just have the quote here. 
at 12 o'clock when Aureliano mm. Jose had bled mm. to death. Mm. <laughs> you recognized it that quickly, did you? <laughs> at 12 o'clock. That's all I needed to say. And Carmelita Montiel found that the cards showing her future were blank. More than 400 men had filed past the theater and discharged their revolvers into the abandoned body of Captain Ricardo. A patrol had to use a wheelbarrow to carry the body, which was heavy with lead and fell apart like a water-soaked loaf of, uh, loaf of bread. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was crazy. I thought you were going to talk about the um, cuckoo clock, oh? which was a very like oh. vivid image in my mind because oh. it's also, I think, it's But yeah. Oh, interesting. That was also a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my third. Uh, my second favorite. Yeah. Ursula. Ursula, losing her proverbial shit, or I should say loosing it, is what I should have said. <laughs> that instant yearned for so many times and so many times postponed, putting her resignation aside and shitting on everything once and for all and drawing out of her heart the infinite stacks of bad words she had been forced to swallow over a century of conformity. Shit! She shouted. And then the follow-up with Amaranta thinking she got bit by a scorpion and just like, where is it? What? The bug. And then Ursula putting finger to her heart. Here. It's like, oh. That was so good. And the audiobook narrator absolutely nailed. Okay, wait. I want to see the translation. But what uh, chapter is it? Uh, the I don't it, have this names would have been numbers. Six. They don't really have yeah, chapters they don't have numbers, numbers in this. I know. Uh, I think I probably have it here, though, because I, I had to write it down. I had to transcribe it. So let me see. I probably have it written down here. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Probably should have talked about that <laughs> in the <Yeah>. style. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Da -da -da -da. I numbered them happen. by hand. Well, actually, no. They had us number them by hand. Oh, uh, 13. It's chapter 13, okay. and it's 14 minutes into the audiobook. Actually, I'm still on it right here. Yeah. So it's about a quarter of the way uh, into the I, audiobook. I'll just say, oh, chapter 13. Oh, yeah. It's good. It was funny. Okay, second favorite, Veronica. Yes, uh, the opening scene. It's iconic. I actually have it. Like, I opened my book, but I actually have it memorized in Spanish. Oh, Muchos wow. Nice. It's just immediately. That's amazing. Like, the imagery. The, like, such a strong opening. And it goes, like, from there to the founding of Macondo. And so you already are getting uh, like the weird time stuff. You're already <laughs> yeah. getting one of the, the most pivotal scenes in the book. It's oh yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I really appreciate the, the use of the verb to be in that sentence. So it, the English translation is, you know, many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. I think it's really fascinating that it's not as he faced the firing squad, he remembered. It's he was to remember. Was to remember. Uh -huh. you know, yes. That's so that that right there just already is messing with your perception of time. Like, uh, yeah, that's really, really cool. It's a great opening. It's <laughs> a good point. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, Drew. Well, my second favorite was just really this whole sequence. But the um, when Jose Arcadio Buendia kills um, Prudencio Aguilar, and he Ooh. and Ursula are haunted by him. Oh, what that and does! And they to see yeah. him like out in the yard, and they see him in the house, and and they have this struggle with their conscience, their their consciences, 
and and we find out later in the book that like this never went away. Like he he struggled with this his entire considerably long life. Uh, you know, like it's yep, yeah, yeah, tied fifty years to a tree, but or something like that. Oh my, yeah, my gosh! And then when he died, what was it? Yellow flowers fell from the sky. Yes, mm. and basically flooded. It, it's so funny because it says like a light rain of yellow flowers and then it's they like block doors and don't let anyone walk for like days <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i didn't consider that that's a good one yeah huh uh yeah so oh. rob your favorite <clears throat> my favorite scene <clears throat> fernanda's epic two days straight diatribe <laughs> i just and i obviously won't be quoting this for obvious reasons um after all we do have like you said earlier drew we have to wrap up this episode sometime tonight but the yeah. audiobook made this one especially fun. I and I I I'd briefly mentioned this, saying like I feel like reading this would have been a chore because I would have turned the page and seen a solid block of text that didn't end, and that would have been, that would have just ruined it for me. That would have destroyed the sterile field. But <laughs> listening to it while I'm also you know thoughts are occupied trying to help people well, trying to figure out why this piece isn't going on straight, <clears throat> what I'm going to have to do to fit this in there, and I, I had this serious moment of, of wait a second, he's still. He's still going. Is this, this is not the same? It's not the same. No, it's not. And I, w- I went back at 30 seconds back four times and it wasn't far enough. And I was going, oh, my God, this is legitimately it. Like he's just been going for this entire time. It was really impressive. And I loved the dedication on Marquez's part to actually stick to it and to just mm-hmm. unleash and to just go and go. There had to be a moment halfway through that where he was like, should I wrap it up? No, I want to keep going. <laughs> And that choice is what I respect the most. It was it just, uh, and the reaction it got out of, I want to say it was Aureliano Segundo, where he just starts obliterating shit. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun as a scene. So that one takes the cake for me. Fernanda's epic diatribe. All right. All right. Uh, Veronica. I already mentioned it. It's the end of the book. I remember yeah. like getting oh, yeah. class, and, I, and I remember getting ahead of everyone else like reading. Um, because like we read the whole thing together and I remember like reading this and just being being like mind blown like about the revelation about Melchiades and how he's a narrator of this whole thing yeah and how like what these prophecies and the book we're reading are the same and that Melchiades like had written these in the past but they're only discovering them now and um how like everything has come to pass and like, how everything is connected by like those prophecies by this character that was one of the first we met uh, to be perfectly honest one of my favorite characters in the book nice and i was just yep. absolutely nice. mind blown by the end of this yeah so yeah well that yeah. was also my favorite scene um <laughs> but there there was one was particular good. line that i wanted to read because i think this was uh, it, it was the description of the wind when uh, it uh-huh. starts. Yeah. yeah. Then the wind began, warm, incipient, full of voices from the past, the murmurs of ancient geraniums, sighs of disenchantment that preceded the most tenacious nostalgia. Like I feel like that yeah. one line also, encompasses that's so much of level stuff, man. Exactly. Oh. Like I, I have it open right now perfect translation. great translation like word for word nice oh oh that that feels even better knowing that that's exactly what the author was writing too yeah oh that's even yeah. more satisfying I'll, like I'll, I'll read it in spanish uh 
Entonces empezó el viento, tibio, incipiente, lleno de voces del pasado, de murmullos de geranios antiguos, de suspiros de desengaños anteriores a las nostalgias más tenaces. It's identical. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, good to know that. I, it's so much more satisfying to know that it's so closely translated like that. Yeah, it's been so long yeah. since I've just like edition it listened is, to people speaking Spanish. <laughs> I was um oh yeah uh, like famous person that read this. I don't remember who it was. Uh, saying that I'd one also of like the to know what translations was one of the best. Yeah, I'd like to know what people's so, biggest uh, uh, issues are for those who have read both and are fluent in both languages. Like where the uh, the largest discrepancies lie. Yeah, huh. yeah, that's awesome. It's that's I, other... I had the same kind of a you know, constant thought in the back of my head when we read uh, the Last Wish. Frankly, yeah. out loud, you know, because translation from the Polish. Yeah, um, like it's easy to lose yourself in the text in the story and forget that it's a translation. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah. So I think that brings us to a a conclusion of our discussion of the book itself. But of course, we have the final draft that we still have to we do. do. We do. Mm -hmm. uh, Rob, what are you sipping on over there? <laughs> I'm so not proud of what I'm about to bring on the Anking Out Loud podcast here. <laughs> I've uh, I've kind of given up on dieting because it's my last couple of weeks before I go start like basic. And I want to enjoy life before I do something like that. So I decided to to stop doing keto and it just start, just, just start going crazy. And today <laughs> I stopped at Arby's on the way home from work. <laughs> and they, they were selling this thing that was called, a, let me see here, an orange creamsicle milkshake. And I went, what is that? That sounds good. And I asked them what that was, and they said it was really good. So I got it, and it was really good. The, the guy who told me was absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> I hate myself after finishing it, but it was worth it. It was great. Love it. Um, a lot of sugar. A lot of sugar, but uh, it was delicious. It was divine. Orange creamsicle and a milkshake? How do you go wrong with that? How do you go wrong yeah. with that? Yeah. So that's what I had. That's what I had. Veronica? Nice. Yeah, what are you so, sipping on down there? Since the last time we recorded, like I've actually like crossed uh, the age limit for drinking, but I didn't want to, especially not like when I'm like not eating anything at this time. Yeah, but smart. I still want it to be thematically <laughs> appropriate. Okay, fair enough. And so, obviously, I I have to be drinking something that's traditional here that is very well known and one of like our biggest like export products. And so, I had a cup of coffee, well, with milk. Because I like it that way. Nice, but yeah. nice, very nice, very good, sweet, it's really good, sweet. I was I was gonna say earlier when I said this is not entirely my cup of tea. I almost said cup of coffee, <laughs> knowing that you're down there, Colombia. But I didn't say it. I should have though. I should have committed to the bit. Oh well, <laughs> nice though, Drew. Yeah. What are you drinking, dude? Well, I was uh, I was just drinking some sparkling water, but of course I have a beer to talk about, um, and. Uh, again, this is a beer that I have not had a chance to drink yet because I'm not drinking at the moment, but I will drink this eventually. Uh, and it's probably going to be one that I drink pretty soon after I, I pick that back up because it's an IPA. It's an Imperial, you know, IPA. And those don't Hang tend to, to hold, you know, uh, super long. Um, IPAs aren't like stouts or barley wines or lambics that you can just store away for years and it tastes great. Um, Didn't know that. But yes, this is a, an Imperial IPA from Hill Farmstead Brewery in Vermont. They are uh, a highly regarded brewery. Um, they're they're famous for a lot of their uh, like wild ales and saisons. Um, 
a lot of their kind of mainline beers are all like named after the people in the Hill family, uh, mm. you know, previous mm. generations. So I thought that was appropriate. Uh, but this beer especially is, uh, it's called a society and solitude. Nice. Oh no, it is not. Yeah. No. Show. Oh, I was going to say, show me the bottle. You. Oh yeah. That's perfect. That is so perfect. Yeah. Damn. Um, so yeah, I think that, uh, that's a wrap for this episode. This has yeah. been, uh, let's look at the spreadsheet. Uh, episode say, 182. Uh, before. Um, yeah, go ahead. For those of you who are going to read this or want to read this, and I'll mention this in the Discord, like my advice would be do your homework, be willing to learn, and yeah. like reflect on it because, like, as a government, like we take a lot of these things for granted, um, in terms of like, oh yeah, we like we know this happened, like the cultural context, like it's, um, like that, but with some. With someone coming like from a different uh, context, I definitely think that it's interesting like, to learn and like okay, like where does this come from? Why is this here? Like why were these choices made? Mm. Feel free to ask me. Like tag me on the Discord or like I'm on the, I'm in the Facebook group as well, and I'll answer your yeah. questions. Um, like my source book was um, book called uh, Columbia a Nation. Um, oh my god, now I forget. Now I'm forgetting the translation. <laughs> Wait, because I'm reading that one in Spanish, but it's originally in English. There we go. Uh, the oh, Making yeah. of Modern Columbia Nation in Spite of Itself uh, by David Bushnell. It's a great book, easy to read for being a history book. To be perfectly honest. Um, and it spans like the entire history since like pre-Columbian times until like now, I think the last. Right on. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Extra context never hurts. Yeah. We, we really appreciate you joining us for this episode. That that helped oh, a yeah. lot. You know, I, oh, yeah. I think the conversation with just Rob and me on this book would have been uh, pretty thin. <laughs> Infuriating to listen to yeah. for anybody yeah, with proper context. <laughs> Yeah. Part of why I I wanted to be on this episode because I knew it would be important, like, in terms of context and history, and like a different perspective on it, because again, this is a book that we everyone has to read for school. Like, I remember, like, wait, ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. Like sixteen, seventeen, I think, when I read this. Yeah. So. Right on. Well, yeah. Right on. So this, uh, yeah, this has been episode 182 of Inking Out Loud. And next up, we're going to be doing Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Uh, Rob is, uh, oh my God, that's is right. finally going to get me to read a little more Andy Weir. And my yeah, wife, Lauren, is going to be on that episode. So nice. keep an eye out for that. As always, if you want to support the podcast, you can be cool like Veronica and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Nice. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey. And with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. And our special guest, Veronica. Thanks for joining us. So glad to be here. Yes. Yes. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.